Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, Bite Size Edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. Before we get into the interview, I've got a small favor to ask. We would love a rating and review. This really helps us grow the podcast, and your feedback informs future interviews and where we're taking this. So if you can, please pause, go to your favorite platform, give us a rating, give us a review, leave some feedback. It really makes a difference to what we're doing behind the scenes. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Former Australian Diamonds netball captain, Caitlin Bassett, who is affectionately known as Seabass, joins the podcast and we discuss the state of female professional sport and how it has evolved, thankfully, since before she started playing to now. Seabass's first contract was $50 and when she said that, Wizard and I almost fell off our chair. She shares how happy and maybe a little bit jealous it makes her to see new players getting more pay than ever before. We also touch on what appears to be higher rates of education for women athletes compared to their male counterparts and an area that I'm really passionate about with all athletes I work with, whether it's individual or team, doesn't matter on the sport, is I want them to be geared to be ready for life after sport and, and Seabass is really, really passionate on this topic as well. That must have been hard because netball, number one female participation sport in Australia, and then you compare that to the other big sports and participation, cricket and AFL, and then you're going, I got $50. <laughs> this is bullshit. My, my son said to me a couple of years ago, he said, Dad, and, and this is what I love about education now with young kids, as far as diversity and inclusion, they're questioning, like, why did this happen? So Archie said to me, Dad, do you realise when Nans, my mother, was a young girl that she could probably only do nursing or work as a, a receptionist? He said, isn't that unfair? And he said, do you know that a lot of women now, they still get paid less than men? Why does that happen? Isn't that, like, at that stage, it was nine or 10. And, and I think there is hope because you've got young boys and girls who are growing up, much more equality, much more inclusion, to the point they don't even talk about, oh, that's my friend. Mm. He's from China, or that's my friend. You know, she's from Singapore. That's my friend Raj. That's my friend Caitlin. And they just get on with it. So there is hope that the younger generation is totally thinking differently around this. That must have been tough for you, though, forging that, the work you've done, and then you see, see Joel and see the career and the money he's made. You've worked as hard, if not harder. Yeah, I think it. It's a blessing and a curse. Like for me, it, it was all I knew. I had to work to to play netball. And I think that's what weeded out the people who weren't really genuine and passionate in netball is that to be there, you had to really want to be there. It's not like you were getting paid heaps of money. And sometimes I look at, say, like state of origin and the amount that players get paid and think – I wonder if they said, no, you're not going to get paid at all to play. This is just for the pride. And this is for just being a part of this amazing, you know, three-game series that means so much to so many people. I wonder, no one would say no, do you reckon? Do you no. reckon any player would be like, I'm not getting paid, so I'm not going to do it? I reckon the players that are really into it, yeah, they would just play. Exactly. But, but I pause. I think it's so grey now in sport that it's just become, hey, I'm playing at the top level in a lot of male sports mm. and I – deserve 
I, I think when it becomes an expectation, yes. yes, that's where you have some challenges. And you know, women's cricket, you're seeing this now, a lot more money in the game. How good is it now with the IPL, seeing our young Aussie female cricketers on multi, like you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars contracts, but there's still a gap between everyone else. It's moving forward. Mm-hmm. But in women's cricket especially, it, it's where men's cricket was 15, 20 years ago. It's semi-professional for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. You know, they are getting paid, but it's not going to set them up to buy a house and, and to do what they want down the track. So there is still a gap and there's a catching up. Back to your question, it's really hard. I think in men's sport now that it has had that level of money, there's just an expectation now that we deserve to get it. I do believe, though, what makes a difference between the great and the good, it, it's intrinsic. It's on purpose. I would do this even if I didn't get paid. Oh, it's a bonus that I get seven figures. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me the importance is that it's continually moving forward. The ones that played before me got no money whatsoever. So the fact that I got paid a little bit of money and then – we really fought hard during um, you know, my career to, to get more media rights, to get more money. So the girls now have something that they can build upon for the next generation. And it's really easy, I guess, to sit back and go, oh man, like they get paid so much more money than I ever got paid. And they're making more money in a year than I made in 10 years. But also what they're creating now is opportunities for me to work in the media and for me to get paid to commentate or for me to get paid to do podcasts and journals and things like that. So there are other opportunities that come to you from the work that you do earlier on. And I think that's really valuable. But I guess I, I just want to continually seeing it move forward and, and conversations that happen on International Women's Day to make people aware that there are still gender gaps and there are still gaps and that, you know, we can't compare male and female athletes. You can't say, oh, women AFL players deserve to get exactly what men AFL players to get. Well, they probably don't at this stage because it's very different. Their games are very different. They play a different amount of everything. It's just so different. Also the commercial lens. Yes. It's all about how many people watch the games exactly. in the grounds and on TV. And And I am an absolute advocate. In fact, I I sometimes think like we shouldn't even be having the conversation. It just should be a lot more balanced. I've got three daughters, so I'm out there. Just it's part of my life. But there is a reality that is sometimes missed in the conversation. The women's tennis, absolutely, you know, it's at the level. It's got the rights. Um, So it's got the the. Uh, coverage and the TV, they're getting paid the money they deserve to pay. And AFL will come up, but that's, I think, an argument sometimes where people say it should be parity. You've got to look at commercial reality on this as well. You do. And you have to look at them standing alone and being able to stand on their two feet. And I don't know if throwing $100,000 at a brand new player who's played for two seasons is the best thing. Is that going to help her in her life outside of sport? Because through what I went through, I, I studied and I worked and I did things which has helped me in the next stage of my career outside of sport and I think sometimes female athletes are actually better when they get spat out the other side because um, we've had to work so we know what it's like we've had to juggle multiple things so we just understand that that's just part of life whereas you see some male athletes who have been on extremely high wages crash and burn because all of a sudden they're just out in a sea where they have no idea what to do and and yes they have money or you know housing portfolios and things like that but actually what their purpose is is really struggle to find. Are you planning an upcoming conference or company offsite? For the past 15 years, I've averaged speaking at over 50 events each year, and I still love presenting at conferences as much as I did when I first started. To explore the different presentations I offer on a range of topics and themes, including physical and psychological well-being, becoming burnout-proof, connection and belonging, that's a new area I'm, I'm really enjoying presenting on. 
neuroscience and behaviour change, mental skills and leadership and culture. Or if you'd like to understand our fully integrated conference experience with pre-event diagnostics, activities throughout the agenda, including a morning wake-up, energy breaks, team-building activities and digital resources to embed learning. To find out more information and to download a brochure, go to andrewmay.com slash keynotes. What I am most proud of of my two years at Parramatta is not that we got through to the grand final. Would have been nice if we won. That's a better story, <laughs> isn't it? But I've got five players who are still in the starting 17, uh, read Marty's move, so four in the starting 17, who are doing degrees. And, and I know when they finish, they will step into the next chapter and they're qualified and they won't have that massive dip that a lot of male athletes do. And you're right. When you are in an environment where you paid a fortune, you're in your 20s, everyone treats you differently. Down the track, that stops. And if you haven't got other skills outside, if you don't know how to transition, the fall can be massive. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I think um, we do really well preparing girls and female athletes for it. But yeah, we're definitely seeing value in the male side of things. And you know, why would a male athlete who's earning half a million dollars a year want to study or do things outside of sport that potentially is going to drag his attention away from sport where well, we can oh, actually see we it can helps. actually see exactly it helps him perform makes you better athlete exactly and so for me it's a no-brainer I think developing that self-awareness that self-concept and understanding who you are as a human is only going to help you when you get challenged in the sporting environment so you're getting me excited you're going deep into mental skills <laughs> and you're talking about role identity the male or female who only sees them as the athlete mm. when they're not an athlete they crash mm. but when you see yourself as this person with flaws and strengths, you can then adapt that to multiple areas. You say, quote, netballers are known as great multitaskers. And you know why? Because we have to be. Every one of my teammates has to juggle, study, or a part-time job, or both, along with their netball career. Because the reality is, it is what you have to do to survive, even if you're playing at the elite level. It's so true. And that's why I guess I, I love my role at the moment with Cricket New South Wales, is that a player turns around to me and says, I don't have time to study CVS. I say, bullshit because you can always find time and you can always find value in it and the importance in it and I get it you're tired and that you want to have a rest and it's you know you're one day off a week and you probably just want to go and play golf which is what lots of the cricketers love to do but I think you know challenging them to to do something and push themselves a little bit harder because when you stop playing elite sport ain't no one going to be pushing you there's no one going to be telling you reply to your emails there's no one going to be telling you or holding your hand to do stuff you literally have to go out there and do it for yourself so while I might be mean to them at times and push them to do things it actually, for me, probably some of the, the most exciting parts of my career to date was the fact that I did finish my broadcast and journalism degree because it was so hard and I had to go to about three different unis. It took me 11 years. But when I finally got that piece of paper, I felt so proud because I'd finally done it. Just back up the truck. I didn't realise that. Three unis over mm. 11 years. Mm. Yeah. At least, yeah. I went to Sunshine Coast University. I did my university in Perth and I did UTS down here. So you weren't just expelled from each other? I was not. Unfortunately, no, no, no. I did have to apply for two dean's letters because you're only supposed to do three years. So it was only supposed to take me nine years to do my degree. They give you triple the time. But I, when, when I got into 10 and 11, moved, okay, yeah. I, just, so just, I was trying to find some scandal. I have to say, I there. promise, I still am playing netball. This is the reason why I'm so slow at finishing my degree. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. 
We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence Podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including MatchFit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.